0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. So let me tell you a little bit about my week here just to set this up. So uh, on Monday, Isaiah, our little big-headed baby, uh, just wasn't quite acting right, <clears throat> and, uh, and we, we weren't quite sure what was up, and so Ash had some errands to run and took Isaiah to Costco, and picked him up to put him into the cart, and he projectiled all over the front of her. Yeah, and uh, then proceeded to do it about 25 times the rest of that day. So that was Monday. Wednesday, about 2 a.m., Noah comes into our room and goes, I think that I need something to drink. I'm like, okay, okay, something to drink. And, and he, he stands in the doorway of the bathroom and says, I think that I might just want to stand here for a minute. And Ash goes, oh, no, no, and pushes him toward the, the toilet. And uh, I'm pretty sure that he threw up and went like this. Ah. Because it, <laughs> it was everywhere. And so uh, this is a good spot for you, for me to plug the parenting lab. Because if you're a parent at 2 a.m. cleaning up vomit when your kid tried to sing the national anthem, right, while he was doing it, we just need to stick together on that, right? So, uh, I, I every single morning, part of my morning routine is I get up and I take apple cider vinegar. It's good for your immune system and your gut and all that kind of deal. And so I start, I mean, I go, I get my beer hat and I put two apple cider vinegars in. Like, I am not getting this. And so last night, I don't have a beer hat, alright, don't be offended. Or maybe you're offended that I don't have a beer hat, I don't know. Uh, anyways, last night, uh, Noah and I were out working in the garage. And you know how you can just kind of start... You feel it start to come on you. And, and so I'm like, hands on knees, you know, like an old man playing basketball. And, uh, and Noah's like, Daddy, what's wrong? And I said, I'm not feeling very good, buddy. He goes, you're not going to throw up, are you? <laughs> and I said, uh, "I said, man, I don't know. And then at about 9 o'clock, uh, I joined the throw-up club at the Dunn House. So I, I say all that to say this. Uh, you know, here's the thing about about Sunday. Uh, you don't get to move it, Right. It's always coming. And so if if you come up to me and I appear to be rude or trying to walk away from you, please know that I love you. I just don't want to share this with you, okay? So um, this uh, I, I'm rocking some Sprite, and uh, the elders have all prayed over me multiple times. So I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see. It might not be good. Uh, but uh, yeah, you guys might want to clear out just this general area. I'll mix you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, when I say amen, I'm going to walk out. So if I don't get to hang with you afterward, please forgive. I, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. But uh, yeah, so if I start crying for no reason or, you know, taking deep breaths, just bear with. All right. Hey, uh, we are, if you're a guest, thanks for being here. We're in our, our Grow series, which uh, this is the time of year when God's people have historically celebrated something that's called Lent. And Lent is the opportunity that we have for 40 days to prepare ourselves for Easter, for the celebration that our our God is not dead, right? Uh, He is alive, He is well, He is risen, and He is still up to renewing and redeeming all things. And so Easter we get together and we celebrate that. If you have not been baptized, listen, I'm telling you, this is the perfect day in the year for you to be baptized. So sign up at the front desk and uh, we'll get you some information. But Lent is just a time where uh, we prepare our hearts for the opportunity that we have to celebrate. Now, most times, Lent is, is, involves fasting, involves taking things out, stopping doing things. So, no Facebook, no caffeine, no TV, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and that's good, but uh, we decided that we wanted to just put some rhythms in where we were adding some things in. And so, for the five weeks leading up, to Easter, we have put five statements in front of you in this GROW series, responses to God, things that God is and we respond out of. Tony talked about that during the announcements. And so we've done two weeks of that. Uh, the first week we said, our God is speaking, and so we read our Bible and pray. And we encourage you to, to uh, just over the next 40 days, make sure that on a daily basis you're spending time with God, that you're praying, that you're reading His Word. We give you a 40-day resource that you can get online, on Facebook, at the front desk, just every day, an opportunity to spend time with God. Uh, Last week, we talked about the fact that God uh, lays down His life, that He uh, offers Himself as a sacrifice, and so we're on mission. We are a part of the work that God's doing, not only in Madison, not only in Wisconsin, but all over the world. God is up to things. And today, we're going to look at uh, this idea that God makes us a family, and so we pursue community. So what I'm going to do is I'm going, to have, I'm going to read our text for the day, uh, I'm going to have you stand while I do that, and then I'm going to pray, and then each of these times, we're introducing you to some folks who called Damascus Road home, who are trying to pursue these values. My man Mike's the only one to listen, good job bro, nicely done, yeah. Everyone else is like, I'm not standing up, Mike popped right up, so yeah, uh, so I'm going to introduce you, yeah, see now you're just, now you're just uh, kissing butt, right, uh, <laughs> doesn't count now. Uh, so I'm going to introduce you to to uh, Lucas Leonard and to Crystal Marks after I pray. And they're just going to kind of walk us through their understanding of this idea of community. And uh, I'm excited for you to hear from both of them. So uh, stand with me, if you would. I know y'all were confused. and uh, And go to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel 16. And let me read our text. And I will pray for us. And then I'm going to have Lucas and Crystal kind of head this way So we can hear from them and then we will continue. All right. Are you all good? All right. Glad to see you today. Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 1. We're going to read 14 verses again. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, Thus says the Lord to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth of the land of the Canaanites, your father was an Amorite. And your mother was a Hittite. And as for your birth on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things out of compassion for you, but you were cast into an open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live, and I will make you flourish like a plant of the field, and you will grow up and become tall and arrive at full adornment. You will be formed and your hair will be grown. You were naked and bare, but when I passed over you and saw you, behold, you were at an age for love, and I spread, my, spread my, the corner of my garment over you, and I covered your nakedness. I made my vow with you and entered into covenant with you, declares, declares the Lord, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed the blood off of you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with the ornaments and placed placed bracelets on your wrists. It's the flu. Uh, And a chain about your neck. I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ear and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver in your clothing of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I bestowed upon you, declares the Lord God. And let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. I thank you for Lucas and for Crystal and just what they have been led to share with us about this value of community, God. And so I just pray blessing over them. I pray that you would just prepare their hearts for what you would have them to say and you would prepare our hearts to hear it. And then as we open up your word together, God, I just pray that you will see fit to direct us, to encourage us, to build us up as a good and healthy uh, body formed in the image of Jesus, who is our head, so that you can be glorified and so that uh, we can receive the joy that we have um, by following you well. So we love you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Alright. Ladies first. Men first. We don't know. This is Lucas. I'll let him introduce himself.
1: Go for it. Yeah, I'm I'm Lucas Leonard. Uh, my wife and I, Nicole, have been coming here for over a year, closer to a year and a half now, I guess. But um I grew up in Marshfield, Wisconsin, so up north. Um and uh went a really awesome family. They really loved God. They wanted to share it with us. Um no pressure involved. But um so uh went to church, loved worshiping, uh but didn't really get being saved. I mean I could I pray the prayer of salvation hundreds of times probably mostly out of fear. Um but I didn't feel saved. I could rationalize it and sort of get it, but I didn't really feel it. Um until I was about fifteen there was an awesome Youth conference at my hometown church, um, and I had this awesome spiritual experience of laying down my life before God, literally. Um, and it was—I I call it beautifully terrifying because I was scared, but it was this really cool experience um, where I realized that God was pursuing me, and that I just turned around and said yes. And it was—it was, it was awesome. Um, and little did I know, my wife actually got saved at that same conference. We weren't dating yet or anything, but. Um, So I was really excited. There was this new flame that I had never felt before. There was this new passion. Um, But unfortunately, my church had this really ugly breakup literally immediately after that happened. Um, And along with that, my youth group um, was no longer in existence. So that was a hard time. I didn't have community. I didn't have anyone to share this passion with and have anyone to talk about it with or rationalize it with or anything like that. So, fast forward a couple of years. Um, I'm finishing up high school, I'm going to go off to college in Minneapolis, in the big city at a huge public university. Um, and my wife and I are now dating. And um, I'm not very confident in my faith. I mean, I, I still believe, in, but I just the confidence isn't there. The excitement wasn't there that I had a couple of years ago. Um, so I'm surrounded by awesome people in Minneapolis, but not a lot of saved people, um, which I mean is, is fine. But my there wasn't a sense of community with my faith. Um, and it seemed like everywhere I turned, it was my faith was being challenged in some way, whether it be um, by events or people or what I was learning or my scientifically inclined brain. Um, it just always, I was struggling with confidence and really didn't have any sense of community whatsoever. Um, my wife and I loved each other and we loved God individually, but I, th- I think there wasn't that confidence there. There wasn't that... Um, that flame wasn't as bright as it was. So, um, went through college um and then graduated, uh, went to started medical school in 2012. Um and same thing. Uh, we were in Madison now. Um same thing but just different faces, different people, different um just different um scenery, I guess. But um we got married in August 2013 and um started coming to Damascus Road and we Immediately fell in love with the church, um, we loved the teachings, we loved the people, we loved the mission of who Damascus Road tries to reach, and we loved it, so we were getting some of that excitement back but it wasn 't really until we joined a formal community group um, where we were you know finally excited and confident, and um, that flame was you know raging again, I guess you can say um, so our community group for us has been a tremendous um, Support. Um, We can share with them in happiness and sadness, um, really in anything life offers, we can share it with them. Um, And they really have been a family to us. I mean, we both come from great Christian families, but being in a different city from them, this is really our kind of our spiritual family. Um, And then, me in particular, the discipleship group um, has been really, really life changing. Um, First and foremost, it it kind of eliminates that. the, the excuse that I often use of I'm too busy or I need to study or something like that, it eliminates that and holds me accountable for um, for reading God's word and praying and really being focused. And it's not out of a sense of pressure or um, or, uh, or guilt by any means, just because I want to read it. I want to grow. Uh, I want to share it with them. I want them to be blessed. Um, and I can share anything with them, too. That's another awesome thing. Um, we can share what we're insecure about, what we're bad about, what we're good at, what we're excited about. Um, and we can lift each other up in prayer as well. It's cool. Every time we um, we kind of all have had this experience, it seems like, where you open your Bible the night before discipleship group, and you're not really excited to do it, but you have to read and um, and then you, we we get there and we're like, yeah, we didn't really get anything from it. I don't know. I, maybe I just read it wrong or something. But then we sit down and talk about it, and it literally comes to life. Like we learn about things that we didn't look at from um, our perspective. But sharing with different perspectives, you learn, you see things differently. Um, and that's been awesome to see that and to share that with them. Um, and even my wife has noticed. She's like, you know, being a leader in the house, being a a, um, a god a godlike leader in the house. You've you've really grown quite a bit. So, um, which is something we focus on a lot in discipleship groups. So, overall, um, community hasn't been um, just something we're obligated to go to. It's really been fueling kind of this flame that we're finally getting back, um, and it's and it's awesome. It's fun to see, and it's fun to grow, and it's fun to consume others, I guess, in the process with this flame. So, and it's all because we just said yes to being part of community formally. So, um, I guess that's my story and my community. Awesome. Thank you.
2: Hello. <laughs> my name is Crystal Marks. Um, me and my husband have actually only called Damascus Road our home since December. <laughs> okay. Um, we've been a part of the community groups here, however, for a lot longer. Um, and that's what I wanted to share with you. It's kind of come full circle, and I'm really really just so overjoyed with what the Lord has done in our life. Um, So when I was asked to do this, I was told I had three to five minutes, (laughs) and I started kind of writing down our story, and um, just hypothetical question, if I were to go a little over, would there be like a trap door or anything? Like, am I okay if I go a little over? Maybe I'll save you a little bit of preaching time today. Okay, I just want to give you guys the fullness of the story, because it really gives glory to God, and I think it's important that you guys hear it. Um, and it encourages you as it constantly is encouraging to me. Are we cool? We're good? Okay. Alright, so uh, the first statement I want to make is that I don't know if any of you would agree with me, but I feel like we live in a very isolated culture as a whole. Like you have your family, I have my family, I take care of my own. And it's been very apparent to me, actually, as it became apparent of little ones that I was very isolated, and I didn't have anybody to talk to about some major issues that were coming up. And um, back in the day, we had family living with us, right? That was kind of the way we did community. We had grandparents, and we had mothers-in-laws and sisters-in-laws and people all around us, and we don't live that way. Um, so Jesus gives us a very clear picture of community, right, in his word. And I think it's foundational and essential to our growth and actually having life in our in our everyday relationships, right? So here's my journey. I want to start by telling you guys a little bit about my history, so you guys have a full understanding of where I'm coming from. Uh, So actually, me and Lucas have some similar backgrounds a little bit. Um, I was born into a Southern Baptist family, um, and I'm just going to be totally transparent and honest with you guys this morning. That's okay, right? Because you're my family, and you love me no matter what. Okay, good. Um, Right? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so... We grew up, I grew up in a Southern Baptist family. It was very conservative. I mean, I'm, there's lots of different, you know, kind of demo, denominations within that. Um, but we wore skirts down to our ankles. Girls weren't allowed to cut their hair. Boys were very clean cut. Uh, a lot of rules, a lot of law, right? You guys follow me? Okay, so basically what I came to understand and know in my surroundings is that you look really good on Sunday morning and you serve the church. Um, You go home and all hell breaks loose, okay? My home was very chaotic. It was volatile. It was not good. There is no love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, you know, and self-control, right? All of the things that are fruits of the Spirit, we did not have that in our household. Okay, so that was my background and my beginning. And there was no power either. Like, I didn't see people's lives changed behind closed doors. I didn't see my parents treat each other any differently, okay? Um, So there was just a lot missing in the connection of understanding the way God actually transforms versus just on the surface what we're supposed to look like. Okay, you all follow. All right. So as I grew up, we kind of, my family kind of went, got out of that legalism and started going to like more evangelical free churches. And eventually when I was a teenager, I ended up going to Mad City on my own. And some of you know me from there. That was a long time ago. Long, long time ago. That's a, a non-denominational, a lot like Damascus Road, actually. Um, that's where I met my husband. He was the really cute one up here in the white polo. (laughs) That's my dude. Um, It's a good place to meet somebody. I get two different responses when I tell people, when they ask me, where did you meet your husband? And I say church, and sometimes they're like, oh, you're one of those. (laughs) But the other good response is, oh, it's a good place to meet somebody. And I'm like, yeah, it's a good place to meet somebody. I'm happy I did. Um, anyway, Joe and I were a part of something called the training community at Mad City Church, and that was like a theology course for college-age students. Um, we had a beautiful community there, so that was wonderful, and we really um, had some great relationships. Uh, Mad City went through some stuff and a lot of changes, and we felt very displaced at one point, um, and I would say probably really just feeling like an orphan, and so we left uh, the church, we just didn't feel comfortable in there anymore. I was very hurt by some things that I had seen as well. Um, so we started doing things like we had a home group that we went to, like a friend's church. from other was actually other believers that went to Mad City that felt the same way we did. Um, a lot, coinciding and along the same time, both of my brothers who grew up in the church with me um, were seeking truth of their own and trying to figure things out. And as they dove in to try to find out more about God, they actually both mutually turned to atheism. And found freedom in atheism, um, so we were having lots of conversations surrounding those belief systems, and it really um, put holes in my Christian theology that I already knew and understood to be true. Um, the main reasons that I was struggling was the questions like, "Why is there such terrible suffering if God is relational and loving?" Right, there's some pretty wicked stuff out there when you think about sex trafficking for children and all this other junk and stuff that even you go through and I go through. It's like, why is there so much suffering? Um, and it was painful to think of a God that's relational in that, in the midst of kind of contemplating those questions. Another one that was big was creationism versus science and evolution. Um, I was homeschooled as well, so we got a very, which is great, I'm grateful for the foundations of knowing God. Throughout our whole life, my whole life, but um, there were some things that were missed. And as I kind of dove in and did my own research and evolution and some things like that, I was like, "That makes some stuff make sense." And how come some science stuff is hidden from me, or I feel like it was? So there were some major questions turning around in my heart. So my journey went from being a very sincere believer, like I know I had encounters with Holy Spirit, I know that God spoke to me, to pretty much. A more deist belief system, which is where you believe God set us into motion and started everything, and then is pretty much relationally distant, doesn't kind of met about human life. Does that make sense? You guys know that? Okay. So, and the reason I did, I kind of fell into that mindset is because of my issue with suffering and not seeing God's power interacting with creation. So I didn't see him interacting with my life, with my family, and I didn't see his hand and stuff. So it was really easy for me to fall into that. Um, because of my struggle with um, evolution and more things I was learning about neuroscience, there's actually a, a study that I was watching um, and learning more about neuroscience in the brain that you can actually, supposedly, I don't believe this anymore, but they said that um, you can actually develop a, a presence in your own mind that feels like God but you fabricate it. So I totally kind of took the leap and decided I'm going to sit in atheism for a little while and I'm going to see what that feels like. And I can honestly say it was the saddest, most depressing part of my life. Um, I had no hope. I was absolutely destroyed. Uh, My daughter was probably one and a half or two and I didn't know what to teach her. I was really in a tough place. Meanwhile, my husband um, remained a believer throughout this whole thing. Um, and bless his heart, he had a debate with me a lot, and we had a lot of hard conversations, but he loved me through it. Um, that's a good man right there. Okay, so now we're going to get... Okay, community group. So we were friends with Tracy Hitman. I'm going to drop some names here. And she invited Joe and I to come to community group. And when she first asked us, I was like, well, Joe's still a believer, and I'm sure he would really enjoy community, and I like Tracy, so I'll go. You know, kind of like social... It's a social gathering, and it's good for Joe. So let's do it. Um, and just interesting reason that the Lord used for sure. So that was back in January 2012, and I walked into community group as totally a deist at that point. I went back from atheism, and I decided it's better to at least believe that there was a God that created something because I can't live with the fact that there wasn't. But even if I'm wrong, you know, like it's better for me mentally to think that way. But that's where I was. So. Um, going slowly through all these beautiful relationships that we were cultivating. I met some really authentic, wonderful people. And there's something about that um, that is so freeing to have somebody you can actually share the really dark stuff with and be honest with, and it brings freedom. Um, at one of these times, though, and I'm, I'm free to share this, me and my husband, our story kind of combines because, right, we're one. So we affect each other. Um, but my husband, Joe, had struggled at that point uh, since we were engaged with some severe anxiety and depression. Um, his depression was fueled by his anxiety, so we had a lot of sleepless nights. Um, we had a lot of dark moments. Uh, Joe had a hard time functioning during the day or doing everyday tasks was a problem. And if anybody here has ever struggled with anxiety or depression, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or if you've had a friend or family member go through that, you know how heartbreaking it is and how you just want to fix it. And he was crying out to the Lord a lot and uh, I would cry out with him because I didn't know what else to do but we did therapy and he did um, many medications the whole nine yards and it just didn't seem to alleviate the pain Um, so we were reaching out to our our family that we were building in our community group um, and Tracy and I'm going to name drop and I did not ask permission but uh, her name rhymes with (laughs) Joya. does anybody know who I'm talking about? okay, I didn't say her name (laughs) But um, they had experienced some real true freedom that the Lord had given them in similar areas of their life. So they just offered to come over, have dinner with us, and then share and talk to us about it afterwards. So um, they did, and we had a great dinner. And I went and I put my daughter to bed, and I walked into the hallway, and I was struck with the biggest migraine I had ever had in an instant. I was nauseated. I wanted to throw up. Like, you know, when you get a bad migraine, if you've ever had one, they're terrible. Um, and I walk down the hallway, and they're sitting there ready to share, and I just felt like, okay, I, everything within me wants to go to bed right now, so I'll sit it out for a few minutes and then just let them know I need to go to bed. So I sit down on the couch, and through my nausea and barely able to concentrate, I hear a very clear voice that says, pay attention, this is important. And like that, my dsb system was rocked, because that, there's no way that was me because I wanted to go to bed. So I knew that that was the Lord speaking to me. And as they shared their story of freedom, it, it planted a seed of hope, both in Joe and I, our hearts. And I had to go to bed that night and deal with that, um, and deal with the fact that the Lord is actually moving and changing lives. Um, and he just kept softening my heart and softening my heart. And, um, eventually what, We ended up doing, Joe received what we call deliverance prayer, which is what Tracy and Latoya were talking to us about. Oh, I said her name. Um, (laughs) And that's basically the action of being rescued or set free because of Jesus. So that's what deliverance prayer is, right? So it's basically taking back land or the lives of the enemy and putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is Jesus' land and all these lies that I believed, I'm not going to believe anymore because I know the truth. Okay, that's it in a nutshell. There's a little bit more to it, but that's what I'm going to say for today. So we started to see God's power move and change, and I'm, I cannot express the difference. Uh, my husband went from being a shell of a person, and I'm just being real. He wasn't the man I, I met and fell in love with anymore, but he went back to that, and our whole lives changed. And I saw that change, and I knew it was for real, because our house literally went from death to life in a matter of a night. <laughs> And I'm not saying there wasn't struggle after that. I'm just saying there was some some ground taken, and we knew that this was for real, and the Lord really, um, what Jesus did mattered, right? We can actually live in freedom and stand in freedom. Okay, so... And I will also say, too, because I don't want to just bear his stuff. I'll bear my stuff, too. I had lived with major uh, self-hatred, rejection, social social anxiety. Um, I hated leaving my house. I hated myself. I hated everything I said. I would replay tapes. Some of you may know what I'm talking about of conversations I had the day before or a week before or three months before, and I would be nonstop about, why did I say that? They could have taken that this way, blah, blah, blah. Living in my own bondage, really, I was very sad. Um, and the Lord has taken that from me. Rejection, self-hatred, I have confidence in the Lord. I know that he loves me, and I know I have something to offer. And that turned it from this, and Joe would say the same thing, I'm sure, about his, and it made me be external. Because when you get free, you want to free other people, because that's the gift that he's given you. So because Tracy and Latoya stepped out, and were honest with us about how the Lord had freed them. It freed Joe and I, and we've turned around in our community group, and we've been able to do that for other people, people surrounding us that don't even know who God is. Like, there's crazy stuff happening. God is changing lives, and it all was rooted in this foundation of community. And so I am just overjoyed and grateful, and I want to encourage you guys that it is more than just showing up. It's actually being invested in each other's lives. And what is going to happen if I get free and you all, everybody in here is free, what is the world going to see? What are people at our workplaces going to see? Like really the power that, of what Jesus gave us, right? So I just want to encourage you all to plug in and uh, bear your souls. Let's be real. Let's be honest. This is a messy, dirty thing. And we got to figure it out together, and God is good, and he wants to take it from you, and he wants to give that to the rest of the world. So thank you, guys.
0: man, yeah, It's like the worst-case scenario for a preacher to hear a great message before he stands up to preach. Like, what am I supposed to say off that, man? That was wonderful. That was wonderful. Thank you, guys. Man, so, so transparent, right? And, uh, and we can be that with one another because of who Jesus is and what he does so I'm not going to go long but I do just want to kind of further build out what uh, Lucas and um, Crystal started to talk about so why don't you get to Genesis chapter 1 with me and I just want to I want to talk about just three things real 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 simply here when we're talking about community you're hearing kind of the, the result but there are beliefs that that are central in order to have that result. You have to believe certain things to be willing to put yourself out there in certain ways, to be willing to receive certain things. And so when we talk about being gospel-centered and community-based, why? Why is that important for us? Why is it important for us to do community groups? Why is it important for us to think about these things? So I just want to say three things today. One is I want to talk about that community is who God is. Uh, Two, I want to talk about community is what God does. And out of both of those things, what kind of community does God make us? So community is who God is, it's what God does, and what kind of community does He make us? So I want you you to think about this with me. Uh, It's important for us to not just worship God for what He does or what He gives us, but for who He is. It's important for us to worship and to think about God uh, not just around what He gives us. So it's wonderful that God is gracious. It's wonderful that God is generous. It's wonderful that God does all of these things for us. But the totality of our relationship with God isn't just about what do I get out of it. It's about who is He, and how do I feel about Him, and what do I think about Him, and, and what's true about Him, and what, is, what, what becomes true about me because of what's true about Him. So in Genesis chapter 1, and verse 26, God is introducing Himself to us. He's introduced to himself as uh, introduced himself to us as creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Crystal's talking about that a little bit. In Genesis 1 and verse 26, he says to an unnamed audience, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God uh, is talking in the possessive sense to someone that has not yet been named. And what we begin to get introduced to is this idea of God being a plurality of God uh, existing in one essence, but in three persons. And those three persons, as you kind of think and and process and read further into God's Word, uh, you begin to see that those three persons are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And around the 4th century, God's people began to refer to this as the Trinity. As the Trinity, that God exists in a community. It's who He is. It's what he does, it's what he's about, it's the, the, the entity that God is, is multiple. God is one God with three persons. Those three persons are distinct, they're not forms, they're not, uh, uh, you know, manifestations. They are three distinct persons who make up one uh, God, and, and what's interesting about this is that when we begin to think about God in a trinitarian way, uh, we bump up against things pretty quickly because it's hard for us to process how it can work that God is a community, that God is a plurality. And so, let me see if I can explain it to you this way. Uh, about ten years ago, my wife and I went on a cruise. Uh, we went on Royal Caribbean. We were going on a little vacation, and we got out in the middle of nowhere. And there was a storm, so we couldn't get into the port. So they said, we got a bunch of, uh, you know, recreation that you can do. And one of the things that you could do was you could take waltz lessons. So I was like, yes, we should do that. No. And, uh, and this is a video of me learning to do the waltz. Right? Yeah, there I go. Just like that. Yep, no, no problems at all. Right, So, Ash and I, during the middle of a storm on Royal Caribbean, learning the waltz, you you saw us up there. Uh, Here's the reason that I say this. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about the Trinity as being like a dance. The Trinity is being like a dance. So, Keith, why don't you put that video back up there, and I want you to watch a little bit um, how these two individuals begin to respond to one another and begin to move with one another. And what begins to happen as they're moving? They really begin to function as how many? As one. Yeah. They really begin to function as, how, as one. But in order for that to occur, there has to be mutual honor and mutual deference, doesn't there? So whenever my wife and I started to learn, just keep it up there, uh, learn how to waltz, we really struggled because there was uh, trying to figure out how to inhabit the same space at the same time, right? And so I would step on her foot, oh, you know, and then I would step and, and she would step too. Like we had a hard time really getting in lockstep with one another. And when we finally did, it, it be, we began to move in a real symbiotic way. We began to move as one. And there was a very central connection between the two of us uh, that allowed us to function in in mutual deferment and in mutual honor. Now here's here's what happens. If you try to dance and you try to dictate on your terms, what happens to the dance? It falls apart, doesn't it? I mean, these people are have 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 learned and have practiced and have given hundreds and hundreds of hours uh, to be able to to move as one. Here's here's the thing you need to know. God doesn't have to practice that, right? God operates within himself. Uh, with this outpouring of honor and of deferment and as love. I want you to listen to this quote. Uh, The life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutual self-giving love. When we delight and serve someone else, we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her, and we center on the interests and desires of the other. This creates a dance, particularly if there are three persons, each of whom moves around the other two. And so it is that the Bible tells us. Each of the divine persons centers upon the other. None demands that the other revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, and rejoices in the others. And this creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and of love. It's self-contained, right? There isn't this outside circumstance. There's, there's a self-contained sense of love and honor and joy and, and deferment that can only happen when three perfect beings give total love and total deferment to the other. And when that occurs, it begins to move like, a, like, like that, right? Like this beautiful, perfect, powerful Dance. Now here's what's interesting about this. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays this prayer. And the prayer that he prays is that we would know the kind of love that he has with the Father. That we would understand what it what it is like to, to love and honor and defer and have joy in plurality. Now, whenever we think about becoming a Christian, if we're honest, most of us what we think about is getting our sins forgiven. Getting our sins forgiven so that we don't go to hell. We don't want to go to hell. So, as Lucas said, I've prayed hundreds of times, mostly out of fear. Uh, Becoming a Christian, of course, involves forgiveness, but it's more an invitation into a dance. It's more an invitation into who God is, not just what God does. And so, whenever I become a Christian, I'm invited into a self-sustaining, self-contained relationship that's based on love, mutual deferment, joy that moves seamlessly and flawlessly and perfectly. And it's not what God gives, it's it's who God is. And so as we grow in our worship of God, which is why I said today, thank you that whenever Beth says, let's just do the voices, I can hear you. When we grow in our praise of God, when we grow in our understanding of God, what begins to happen? What begins to happen is that you begin to look like what you value and what you worship. You begin to look like who God is. Not just what God does, you begin to look like God. And so as the gospel is more fully formed in our hearts, as the gospel is more fully formed in our minds, what will begin to happen? An outpouring of love. An outpouring of mutual deferment, an outpouring of joy, and a moving as one body, right? As one family, in one spirit, with one baptism. This is how Paul begins to describe it. Not as 200 people show up and we're just all kind of doing our thing and we collapse into this room and then we go our separate ways. No. As one body. Why? Because we serve a plural one God who operates in in that way. And so community is who God is. It's who God is. Whenever Lucas is standing up and, and reciting the joys of community, he's reciting the glory of God. It's who God is. Whenever uh, Crystal is standing up and saying the blessing and the benefit of God's people pouring into her, she's, she's seeing a mimicking of who God is. And she's rejoicing in that, not because Tracy or LaJoya... I was wondering how she was going to rhyme that one, right? I knew she was going to say LaToya. I was like, what's she going to do? Go? LaToya or Tracy. Not because the glory goes to them, because we do those things because of who our God is. And as we mimic who our God is, blessing and joy is a result of that. So number one is community is who God is. Number two is community is what God does. One of my favorite texts in all the Bible I read to you earlier this morning. It's the story of God's kind of chronicling how Israel became... Uh, part of the family of God. And it's pretty graphic. It's pretty graphic the way that God talks about it. God says that uh, when I found you, you were a baby who had, 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 birth had been given to you and then, and then whoever delivered you and your mom just dumped you in a field. Didn't even, didn't take the time to, didn't take the time to execute you, didn't to just, I mean, you want to talk about complete abandonment, right? Complete abandonment. Uh, complete uh, lack of care complete lack of intent complete lack of any familial love uh, just you were delivered and you were thrown into a field you hadn't been washed you hadn't been clean, you hadn't been swaddled you know I've said this lots of times uh, you know the babies that you see on Hollywood they're like six month old babies right like no baby that ever came out is cute just, just the reality of it and so you have this uh, you're like how dare you I don't know what to tell you, alright, it's true. Uh, and so God says, whenever, whenever I was walking along, I walked by a field and, and I heard this baby who had been abandoned, I heard this baby whose family didn't care about them, and he references the family, this cursed genealogy. You came from a terrible family, a family that didn't love you, that didn't care about you, that didn't put any effort into, into loving you or deferring to you or offering joy to you. And 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 people would walk by you and you know that kind of like grotesque step back that you get, right? God says, This is this is what you were when I found you. And God says that I walked into that field, and as you were screaming, and as you were a mess, and as you were bloody, and had all of the fluid on you and nobody wanted you, I took I picked you up. Right? I picked you up and I put my arms around you and I took you home. And here's the thing that's interesting about this. Uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we, we love the idea that somebody helps out, but then the guy left, right? The Good Samaritan helps the guy out and pays the bill and then he leaves. Jesus is talking and he says, I, I took you home and I cleaned you off and I fed you and I did all of the kind of external things for you, but then what, what does he do on top of that? What, what becomes of that baby? She becomes his What? His, his family. He adopts. She, she becomes a part of his family. She takes his name. She takes his resources. She takes his vision. She takes his love. She's invited into that existing community. That's, God says that's the story of God's people. That you didn't have home. That you didn't have family. That you weren't loved. That you weren't cared for. And I adopted you. I adopted you. And so everybody in here today who is a follower of Jesus serves a God who is a plurality and serves a God who adopted them. It's the theology of spiritual adoption. Beth read it today for our liturgy. That we are members of the household of God. And this is what God does. This is what God loves to do. To find somebody whose family is a mess. To find somebody who's screwed up their life. To find somebody whose choices have, have mutilated and made them grotesque. To find somebody who's alone. To find somebody who's struggling. To find somebody that doesn't have any place to turn. And not just say, you can come over and get a warm dinner. But you can come over and have a family. You can come over and have a home. You can come over and have a future. You can come over and have all of everything that is mine is now yours. And if you're in here today and God saved you, that's your story whether you know it or not. That's what God does. Now why does God like to create community? Because that's who He is. Because that's who He is. And so, church then, you know, we talk about this all the time, it's not the brick and mortar, right? Church is that the adoption that God brings into our life, doesn't just change how I think about Him. Right? This is what Crystal is saying today. This is so powerful. I came into community with some thoughts about Him, and because of that community, it started to change the way that I thought about Him. But what did it also change? The way that she thought about the people in her community. You see, the fact that God is a community, and the fact that God is an adopter, our adopter. Our adopted father should change the way that we think about him should change the way that we th- the things that we say are true, but it should also change how you think about me and how I think about you and how you think about church and what you think about community and so let me just give you three things that I think God invites us into, and I just want you to I want you to just dream a little bit with me about this okay this this kind of community, this kind of church, this kind of spiritual home three things the kind of community God wants to make us number one is. He wants to make us a gracious community. He wants to make us a gracious community. I, I, yesterday, um, was out with the kids uh, pre-vomiting, right? And uh, I ran into a guy, he had adopted four little girls all at the same time,
2: right?
0: And uh, that's what I said, oh wow, bless your heart, right? And I said, how's that going? And he said, now it's going really well. He said, but the first couple months were pretty hellish. And I said, really, what happened? And they went over and Uh, He said they lived in this little apartment with these four girls who now, he's their dad. And he said that uh, one in particular would just do everything that she could to rebel. Do everything that she could to make life difficult. Do everything that she could to make it be known that she was not going to identify herself as part of this family. I said, what would you do? And he said, I would hold her, and I would hug her as tight as I could while she screamed, and while she raged, and while she spit, while she did everything that she could, and I would hold her until she stopped. Is that not the definition of grace? That God holds us, affirms us, loves us, while we scream, while we rage, while we do everything that we can to say, I am not a part of this. You are not my father. You are not my family. This is not what I signed up for. And God doesn't say, then, get out. God holds us. God squeezes us. God whispers into our ear while we while we rage against him. Listen, if you're in here today and your conception of God is that he cannot wait to flick you, it's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is the God who brings me home out of abandonment, makes me his son, and holds me as tight as he possibly can while I rage against the idea of actually being okay, of actually being safe, of actually having a home. That kind of community founded on grace, right, means that, listen, in community, people are going to fail you. They're going to fail you. In this church, people are going to fail you. We're going to make mistakes with one another. But the community of the gospel isn't we won't make mistakes. It's this is how we respond when mistakes are made. Right? This is how we respond when mistakes are made. This is how we think about failure. This is how we think about hurt. This is how we think about division. We go toward one another. We squeeze one another. We forgive one another. We love one another. Why? Because of who our God is and what he does. So the first is a gracious community. The second is a generous community. A generous community. Ezekiel chapter 16, it doesn't say that, and then when you grew up and I had given you all this stuff, I gave you a bill. Right? It doesn't say, and then you started to pay rent. All of these things were at God's cost and at our benefit. So then should a community be, listen, think about this, should a community be, I give you what's left over in my week. Should a community be that, um, you know, I'm, I'm really busy and I got a lot of things that I deeply care about and when I can squeeze you in, I will. Or should a community be that because of who our God is and what our God does and what we believe is true about Him and what we believe is true about one another, that the best of my time, that the best of my resources, that the priority of one another... Remember that dance? prioritizing one another, deferring to one another, becomes the norm, the expectation. Why? Because we're awesome. No, because of who our God is and what our God does. A generous community. And you can put that in any category. To give yourself deeply to a place. To give yourself deeply to a place. To give yourself deeply to a people for however long God allows that to occur. Not to hold back, not to be greedy, not to, be, to skimp out on everybody, but to be generous. Why? Because of who our God is. And then thirdly, uh, is to be a grateful community. Grateful for our adoption, but also grateful for one another. Here's the thing. Don't we often get grateful once we figure out that people have something to give us? We do, don't we? We don't, we don't think about being grateful for people just for who they are. But the reality of our story, guys, is that everyone in this room who God has saved is here only by the grace and generosity of God. You didn't know me before God saved me, and I didn't know you. There was no place that you and I mutually inhabited. There was no place that you and I shared. There was no generosity. There was no valuing. There was no gratitude. There was none of those things. God creates that place and invites us into it because of who he is. And so when we talk about how we view one another and how we value one another, listen, mutual gratitude is an obvious manifestation of the gospel. I'm grateful for you, for your differences, for your gifts, for your perspectives. I'm grateful to be in family with you. I'm grateful to be in place with you. I'm grateful for this time and the season that God gives us and whatever he uses to accomplish out of it. Not because of what you can give me, but because of how we both got here. Right? Not because of what you can give me, but because of how we both ended up here. So here's how I'd like you to think about community moving forward. You know, uh, my wife and I have moved a fair amount, and early on in our marriage, we, we would kind of get in these disagreements about the kind of house that we wanted to, wanted to get, right? And then, time after time, we would get into a house, and my wife would do what my wife does, right? She would get it decorated and get the smells going and, you know, make it nice and make it warm and make it inviting and make it a what? A home. Make it a home. Yeah. Uh, Community is kind of a wonky word, so let me change it for you in this. Um, This is just the house that we meet in. Right? It's the brick and mortar. But community is the home that gets created out of how we view God and how we view one another. Community is this opportunity that we have to make uh, this place home. A safe home. A healing home. A hopeful home. A joyful home. Because of who our God is. And so, th- As we head into Easter, knowing the cross central to our faith, as we think through Lent, it's this opportunity for us to think through what kind of home do we want Damascus Road to be? And what part does God have for you, based on where you were before He saved you, based on who He is and what He does, what part do you have in the home that He's creating here? Not the house, not the brick and mortar, the home, the relationship, out of grace, generosity, and gratitude, because this is who our God is, and this is what our God does. Amen? All right, stand with me. I'm going to pray, but a couple ways that I'd like you to respond here. One is we take communion every week here at Damascus Road. And the reason we do that is just to remind ourselves who our God is, right? To remind ourselves of the cross, to remind ourselves of grace and generosity of our, of our Father. And so we come up as a community and we take communion together. We also sing. We sing to uh, express gratitude to God together, to allow His Holy Spirit to anoint our time uh, and then we pray. I know that some of you in here, you got stuff going, stuff going on. And uh, we want to be here for you. We want to create a safe place, a safe home. And so if you need prayer or if you need to talk to someone, there will be folks to my left and to your right uh, who would love to do that. Pray with me if you would. God, I thank you for uh, the home that is created in the personal work of Jesus. God, the reality of it is that most of us, all of us, we, we've come from... Varying levels of abandonment, varying, varying levels of dysfunction, varying levels of harm, varying levels of being cast aside. And you don't just pick us up and dust us off. You pick us up and bring us to a home. A home at which a good and gracious and trustworthy and kind and safe father is. And that's you. You invite us in to this opportunity to embrace who you are and be embraced by you. This is who you are and this is what you do. And so, God, would you continue to give us stories of your grace. Give us stories of your glory. Invite us into the community that you are. And Invite Damascus Road to be a home. A home for the displaced. A home for the hurting. A home for the needy. A home where your glory and your fame is spoken of every single week. And where people rejoice in who you are and what you've done. We love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name.